You're listening to The Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop your email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind-the-mic newsletter. And one of today's podcast sponsors is Tech Tables Plus, an engaging new community where you can have early access to never-before-released episodes, early access to live event recordings, early access to weekly three interesting learnings, early access to live event ticket purchases, no episode ads, and more, plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today. Bonus number one, access to the CEO show. Bonus number two, access to the Higher Ed Show. And bonus number three, access to the Digital Show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network. Today, I'm super stoked. We're going to lean on the experience and insight of Gary Brantley, CIO at the City of Atlanta and author of The Art of Organizational Transformation. Fantastic read and a must-buy on Amazon if you're interested in organizational leadership and transformation. Huge thank you to Gary for taking time out of his busy day in the ATL to come on the show with me today. But that's quite enough for me. Without further ado, I'm thrilled to welcome Gary Brantley, CIO at the City of Atlanta. Well, welcome to the show, Gary. Appreciate you coming on today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I'm stoked. Well, let's kick off today with a quote from your book, The Art of Organizational Transformation. I not only read your book over the weekend, but I believe it's so good and worth internalizing a lot of the principles that you actually touch upon. So, you know, I took a lot of notes before. I think I was sharing them before. But one quote you said was, giving back to the city and state that it invested on me, invested in me. That's on page 20. So this quote, really caught my attention because someone invested in my life when I was in high school through an organization called Young Life and just radically changed who I am today and my family and just a big piece of giving back to the community. I love working with kids. And uh, one of the areas I do that is is actually coach, help coach JV and freshman basketball and uh, ride the bench on the varsity team as an assistant. So before before we dive into tech and digital transformation with the city of Atlanta. Uh, tell the audience the importance of transforming people versus technology first. Yeah, that's a big, you know, that's always the tough part. I think um, you hear a lot about digital transformation, digital transformation, and that's not really where you struggle at. I talked about this before. There was a CEO and actually a CEO I talked to a couple of days ago who just was struggling with the uh adoption around people. They had spent tons and tons of money, millions and millions of dollars for this big, huge digital transformation that they were going through with the organization. But the one thing that they did not spend time on is having the individuals within the organization adopt the digital transformation. And so they should have, that should have been done simultaneously. And it wasn't done simultaneously. You, you can't put in the digital, all these new bells, whistles, procedures, policies, all these different bells and whistles, and then forget about the people component. And one of the things that was really important for me is to kind of really explain where the heartache was 
in the whole transformation process. It wasn't the technology at all. It doesn't speak. It typically works well. If it doesn't, it's because somebody else is messing it up on the other end. And so, you know, when you really, when you really started to look at all of these places that I've been in, we've been, we've kind of gone down this transformation role. I spent 90% of my time with people and it's just, it's the most important part of the whole journey, but it gets talked about the least when, especially when you start talk, talking about technology and, you know, making these rapid changes and all of these different kind of innovative technologies that you want to put in place. And so that, that's really, it, it's really about people if you really want to get it done. Yeah, no, I really like that. And that actually opens up uh, chapter one in your book on culture, which I think is underrated and super important. And I could spend a whole podcast episode just on culture and investing in people. And uh, yeah, the technology piece is probably the 10% piece. So the mayor of Atlanta, uh, she said, now this is maybe a year and a half ago, but I really like what she said. She said, managing the city's technology infrastructure effectively is not only critical to our ability to deliver quality customer service to residents and businesses, but as we learned firsthand earlier in the year, I think it's referring to the security incident that happened. Yeah. Our ability to run an efficient government. She was most impressed by your efforts to extend technology into underserved communities while also maximizing innovation within the workplace. So coming into 2020, every CIO had a strategic plan and it just blew up. All of my clients, everyone I'm talking to, <laughs> everyone has a plan. And they, it, the sad part and sad part is everyone works on their plan in October. They finish it in December. <laughs> and then the plan got blown up in February or March. So I know you're a huge Cleveland Browns fan. You're wearing the Cleveland Browns hat right now. I'm going to guess you're a pretty big sports fan. I'm probably going to guess you know Mike Tyson too. He's got a great quote. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> a lot of CIOs got punched in the face. Yeah, we did. So my question is, what do we need to understand about the city of Atlanta that we didn't need to understand pre-COVID on the technology and digital transformation side? Yeah, the city is very complex. You know that, I mean, you have, you know, typically when you walk into an organization, especially a private organization, there's a couple of areas that they focus on that they really want to do well in. But with the city, I mean, it's very diverse. I mean, one minute we could be having a conversation about water. The next minute, right, which is very essential. People don't really think about it until there's a water main break or a water shut off, uh, just how much you use water for everything. But when you start to look at the airport, and Atlanta's airport is huge, and most uh, people have no idea that the airport is under the mayor of the city of Atlanta and that we're responsible for it. So you have all of the nuances that go along with the airport. You have all of the nuances that go along with the judicial system. So you have courts, you have the public safety side of it with of course, the Atlanta police department, along with uh, 911, the EMT areas, when you really start to look at emergency management and fire, and then we go to some of the basic areas that most people do know, uh, public waste, 
you know, you people talk about potholes on the streets. So you have public works and you have the lighting within the city. All these things run on, on technology, the permitting, uh, permitting from beginning to end. Uh, you know, we've been really focusing on that from an innovation perspective. And so, and that doesn't, you know, we didn't even get to the core of why we're there. And that's really to make sure that the other areas operate. You got finance, HR, like you get to the, then you get inside to the regular kind of operational units that people are used to seeing. But then you add one other component to it, which is very political, which is a legislative body, which is city council. A whole nother animal that you have to deal with and really be able to support. So, I mean, if you're really looking at everything, and that was just some of them, I believe it's like 27 different uh, agencies and departments that are supported, Parks and Rec, you got, you know, all of the things that go on with that. People would say, well, what would you do in IT for Parks and Rec? Oh, you would be surprised um, how all of that ties in. And so it's just, it's just a very complex organization that you really have to learn how to navigate and then you throw politics on top of it and you this is when you have the city of Atlanta. Yeah, so very complex. So I'm trying to think about where to first unpack this. So this so first let's talk with the airport. Really funny. That used to be my second home because I was traveling so much. The Delta Lounge in Atlanta at the airport, that's basically where I hung out. We might have even crossed. I'd plenty of friends where I'd be texting and they're in the Atlanta airport and it's so huge and we would miss each other. And one of the things I started to realize, I just shot a podcast episode with the director at Thomson Reuter and that was on the public sector, the courts and justice system. And so I'm starting to, you know, and then preparing for your episode, I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, there is so many things that are under the purview I don't even know how you really package and focus everything together. That wasn't actually a question I had, but the more I think about it, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. I mean, then that was just like pre-COVID. Now, now post-COVID, you got the city council. You've got to figure out, hey, how do I get them on Zoom or Teams? How do they operate? The court system, you know, it's just insane. And what I learned is like the ceremonial process of like, you go in person to court. Now I've never had to go to court. Um, I didn't really get that. I mean, I was just like blessed enough not to go to court. And so I'm learning. I'm like, how do you get all these people? How do you run a civil trial? How do you run a criminal trial? How do you manage judges are getting COVID? How do they remotely still manage everything? Uh, parks and rec. I'm, I don't even know what you would do in parks and rec. You'll have to, uh, maybe tell me offline, but there's just so, so much. So I, I, Basically, I've had a fine appreciation of uh, of CIOs like yourself in the public sector and kind of what you guys have to manage. It's really impressive. So this is going to lead me into, uh, you've got a great story about going paperless. And I have a photo that, that I have in our notes. I'm going to put up on the website once our podcast goes live. So I worked at, I used to work at a property management software company called Yardy Systems. And uh, I worked on the PayScan team, which was all about reducing costs with paperless invoicing, all AP. And um, 
what made it so fascinating for me when I heard the paperless story, I forget what podcast I was listening to that you were on talking about it, but it was so funny because I actually gave a presentation on going paperless and I used to train people. <laughs> so this is so funny. And so I worked as a, like a technical account manager, at this software company is like my first software job. So two years later I'm presenting and within this picture, you can see there's another picture and they're just boxes of paper. So when I heard the story of what you did in a week and a half, it really, I'm like, this is so impressive. I couldn't get anyone in a year and a half to get off of paper. And in a week and a half, you made that transition. So walk us through day one to completion, including mindset, because that's just so huge. Obviously, execution and delivery. Yeah. So first and foremost, right, you have to have, and we don't talk about them enough, but you have to have really good people, right? You know, I'm not the one running around to all these different places. So, so you really, and, and we do, I think we have a very great team. I mean, I met Deanna. She's amazing. Shout out. Yeah. I mean, it's like that, right? So you see, you see when you have teammates like that working with you, it makes it a lot easier. But the other uh, side of it is, you know, just the belief system that we could push and get things done. So all of this time, we had this outrageous roadmap that had, you know, about 60 plus projects that I was like, hey, we're going to do this in a year. And when we start putting stuff down, everybody was like, no way. Oh, no way. There's no way. But we really focused on it. And we got the majority of them done. It, actually, this past uh, June 30th was our ending date uh, for the most of it. And our percentages were very high um, on the things that we got done. And one of the things that they started to see, I really believe over that time is that they could turn things around really quick if you really started to focus. But the other side of it is, and I'll take you through, this was an opportunity to really get things done fast in the city because the majority of the time, it goes through all of these different going back to legal, then back to procurement, then up to the mayor's office, then back to city council. Then it's just all these different curves in order to get one thing through. And so this was an opportunity to say, hey, we're in a crisis. This sucks. People are suffering, you know, but let's try to figure out how we can take advantage of what's going on technically, how we can take advantage technically about what's going on right now. And so we couldn't sign anything. If you looked in my office, it was full of paper, just paper that I had to sign. And I have to look through a hundred pages to, just to find a signature line. And then it was packed with all of this, you know, kind of fluff. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen a legislative packet, but I mean, before you can even get to what it is, you got to read all these attorney lines that are in it. And so we had an opportunity to say, Hey, we can't get anything signed right now unless we go completely digital. Like nobody's going to be running up to the office, running back, coming back. It just was not going to work like that. And so everybody put their heads together. We were able to get all the different departments on board quickly because we knew things would suffer. And, um, and we, you know, we couldn't have city services going dead. We couldn't have services for the community going dead. So we were able to get the contract signed and up, get everything worked out with DocuSign and get it implemented in about a week and a half. And that, that's huge for the city. I said this, and mo I don't always finish the thought when I say it, but just, I always say, just to have a conversation that resonates through the organization that we want to go paperless would have took a year. 
just for the conversation to permeate. And so that was the most exciting part of it was, hey, we can actually do this. See city, we can do this, ramp this up, still follow all the guidelines we need to when everybody gets out the way. So Joe, I haven't signed anything on paper and for, it's been a long time. Let's I, go. Yeah, it's, Let's I'm, go. And so now, you know, I don't think anybody's going to want to do that. To tell you the truth, as we start to, to go forward, I just don't. I think, you know, I would say we have a couple of people who, and I'll say a couple, really, two important people who sign. Everybody else is digital. Yeah. No, I love that. I'm not going to, I don't want to throw any of my own clients under the bus but they have sent me NDA documents back because I signed it electronically with my Apple pencil. <laughs> we need wet ink and we need you to fax this. I'm like, we got to have a conversation about the facts. It died the previous generation. Uh, no, I love it. I love that story. I love the story about going paperless and, um, and yeah, just the time efficiencies. Oh my goodness. And really, I think the thing that stands out is, you know, DocuSign, I don't know, they've been around for eight, eight years, seven years, like forever, right? But the belief that you could do something different, right? right. That's the hardest selling point, is that belief. It wasn't, like the technology is not magical. Like you say, I, I mean, I'm sure when it came out, it was. But at the end of the day, it wasn't, it's not the technology that was the biggest hurdle. It was back to the people and believing that you can actually transform your organization to go paperless. And so... In a lot of these instances, you have to take advantage of what's going on at the time. I also feel like that's a huge play for transformation because there'll be things that come up through that whole journey and you got to be ready to take advantage of it when it happens. Yep, 100%. So to piggyback off that, there was a tweet that went around. You might have saw it when it kind of first took off during COVID. And so there's a picture it basically says, I'll throw it up there. Who led the digital transformation of your company? And it says A, CEO, B, CTO. You could even do a slash CIO. C, COVID-19, and COVID-19 circled in red. So the phrase digital transformation, I know a lot of people use it. I know it's pretty exhausted at this point. Or it was exhausted because before COVID, I would say 100% of everyone I talked to said, I have a digital transformation plan. COVID smacks them in the face. Then it's like, oh, our plan wasn't really a plan. It was a wish, right? So I'm curious, what does digital transformation actually mean to you and your organization? Yeah, I think it's really about using transformative technologies to create efficiencies and innovation across your organization. I mean, it's as simple as that for me. You, wanna, you really want to be able to listen to the business and you really want to understand the business and the business needs. And then you want to go ahead and use technology to help create those uh, operational efficiencies that they're looking for. Um, most of the time, and even if you have some old outdated processes and old outdated, I do believe process goes with it as well. I believe in, in government, definitely policy goes with it as well. And so when you're looking at what that really means, you really have to understand your business. I can't transform a water organization digitally if I don't understand water. So that's what makes the city so complex because I have to spend time. These are, this isn't like understanding HR or procurement, accounting and all those things that some, in some cases you learn while you're in school. So you have some reference of, I didn't take a water class in school, right? So I had to really understand what all of those things really meant 
you know, at the basic levels to really be able to say, hey, these are areas in which we can really help transform this operation. And so I think that's what it, that's what makes it up. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. And I think what I, what I think what kind of exudes from you. So I'm sure that the, uh, there's an IQ piece to you, which I, which is there and you have to have it. But I think even more powerful is the e- EQ piece, the emotional intelligence that you would bring because you don't understand. Uh, I didn't take a water class either. <laughs> you would have to go and learn and like listen and actually have that emotional intelligence to understand and really go from like sympathizing to empathizing and really start to like dive into their world and understand what they need. I, to be honest, I have no idea where technology would fit in the water district or anything. I'd have to sit down. I had to figure out research I'd go on Google and then really start to dive into that. But I think the emotional intelligence that you bring is, I think the word is not a bad way, but superior. I think, I think you need that. I think you need it across the organization or stuff's just going to collapse. Let's talk about how, you build a hybrid cloud strategy around the business outcomes. So I heard a piece of this conversation on a snippet on YouTube, but I wanted to fully tie it in. So, so how do you build a cloud strategy around the business outcomes that the city of Atlanta is looking at? And what are the business outcomes that the city cares most about? I think most importantly, that. so we'll start with the latter piece, right? And then build on the latter question that you asked. I think the city really cares about its residents. I mean, that's really, it's there to serve and provide services for the residents. I think, you know, we have a very uh, passionate and caring mayor. I think you've seen that uh, nationally across, uh, across many channels. I mean, and so, you know, what you see is really how she is in most cases. And so we spend a lot of time, you know, focusing on the underserved communities. You really want to be able to help people, right? We spend a lot of time on making sure that we have a strategy for our homeless population. But then you really want citizens to be able to access services. You want safety, you want a great public safety system, right, where the community confident in their ability to perform and their ability to protect and serve. And so those are areas you want. You also want safety on transportation. We have a lot of fatalities across uh, the city of Atlanta as it relates to fatalities and car accidents and bike accidents and um, scooter accidents and all those types of, of accidents. And you really want to provide the safest means of transportation and mode of transportation across across the city that you can. And also the last piece is just from an operation, operational efficiency standpoint, you want to have your stuff together. You want to be fiscally responsible. You want, these are tax dollars and you want to make sure that you're using them correctly and that you're hearing what your community and your residents want. So that's the first part of it. And I, you know, I got lost in that. If you could repeat again what the other question was yeah so really around building that hybrid cloud so i know in the public sector and i know specifically with the city of atlanta when i was researching there's a base case for you have public cloud hybrid cloud private and just wondering how do you kind of decide on what strategy is the best um how do you kind of lead with that that's a big area in focus it seems like it could be kind of narrow but it's, it's really not. So one of the areas that we started with was this application rationalization project that we had, right? Where we took 
hundreds upon hundreds of applications that were in the city. We were looking at what was redundant, what was not, you know, why do we have six or seven CRMs, right, across, you know, everybody. And so we weren't leveraging our buying power. Out of those seven CRMs, how many are cloud-based and how many are on-prem? How many have a roadmap for flexibility and innovation and how many don't. And so this was a really big task. And one of the uh, initiatives that I spoke about earlier, this was one of those initiatives, is to really look at how we could, which applications we wanted to innovate on, which ones we wanted to kind of get rid of, and which ones we just had to tolerate because we had so much wrapped up into to them at the time. And then you start to develop your strategy around your hybrid approach. Because when you really start to collapse, you really look at your organization and you say, okay, there are the majority of, even though we have seven CRMs within our organization, 80%, 70% are on this one platform. And this one platform, if you look at their future state and what they're looking at going forward, has everything mapped out on the direction that we want to go as an organization. Everything's there for security. Everything is there for administrative functions. I mean, we're looking at your roadmap for innovation and how you're changing up your application, applications, even mobility, you know, the virtual piece of it that we're talking about. And so then you say, okay, check mark, right? This is ready for a cloud approach. We're looking at it. Everything is in place. We have the security policies in place to run it. But then you go to other parts of the organization where you have that same kind of example going on, but it could be reversed. You could really say, hey, the time and effort to get, let's talk about our just 911 system, right? The time and effort that it would take to move that to the cloud right now, right? And then looking at the advantages of if the system is really cloud ready and not just that that system, but systems across the US. You know, how many, we call them CAD systems, are, you know, cloud ready? How many, and when you go to, to look at that and you take that into consideration, that becomes a part of your strategy. You say probably 2%. And the 2% that are ready, aren't ready for prime time. They're not ready for Atlanta. They might be ready for a smaller environment, a city, but not Atlanta. So then you say, this has to stay on prem. So now, I, you know, I can't move that, but I'll put this on the roadmap. Maybe it comes up later. And then you start, you also start to look at uh, how many data centers do you have? We had a ton of data centers. I'm not even gonna tell you how many, but we have a ton of data centers, right? And so with that, what you also decide is how many of those are we gonna start to collapse as well? Because our strategy has started to change. And then the last piece you throw in is skill set. How many employees do we have that actually, that are here that can run this? You know, so, so you really start to make a decision. Are we gonna become a develop, a true development shop, you know, in order to extend the life of some of these products? Or are we gonna say, hey, we're gonna let somebody else handle this type of work. So those are all of the, when you start talking about the approach, those are all of the areas that you look at in order to come to a decision. And then you, what you end up with is a hybrid approach around cloud and on-prem. Yeah, that's really great. You're right. Most pieces might not be ready for prime time in Atlanta. I live in Santa Barbara and there's 100,000 people. There's not 100,000 people in Atlanta. Got a couple of zeros onto that. So let's talk about IT Public sector versus private sector. I'm curious, what makes like the public sector 
so fascinating to you, so appealing to you versus work in the private sector? Yeah, you know, they're both appealing. Now, what I will say is this, you know, early on, when I started out in the uh, private sector, because I worked for IBM, I worked, most people don't know because of the age gap, but I worked for MCI WorldCom. And so that's where I started, is there in the private sector. What I will say is what's different is in, in a lot of cases, you're driving for humanistic impact, like positive impact improvement uh, for your residents and your way of living in your life. I think a lot of times in the public, in the private sector, I'm sorry, especially when I was working, everything was working in it. Everything was driven uh, around, uh, you know, money, sales, you know, those things you don't hear. Now you do hear it in some cases because the one thing people forget is the city has a lot of areas that, that they collect revenue and for services, you collect revenue for water, parking tickets, airport parking. I mean, it's so many. I could go down a list of where, you know, you have sanita- sanitation services where you collect. So you're collecting revenue all across the city of Atlanta. So it's a hybrid approach on that end. But I will say you are really focused on people. And in the private sector, you do have companies that focus on people, but most importantly, it's about the bottom line. And I don't care what they say, how they try to make it seem, right? They're looking at, they're looking at their numbers and the bottom lines. They're looking at the sales. They're looking at their effectiveness across their customer base. And I think there, it, it can be in a lot of organizations, especially the successful ones, they care about it. They care about community impact. Too. A lot of them donate, a lot of them uh, give their time. So you do have like a cross connection with that as well. I just think the difference is with the city, that's your focus 100% of the time. And that is, um, you know, I'm not sitting in the meetings and they're saying, Gary, how many sales have we, do we have this week? Or the engineering, you know, I remember being at Goodyear with, uh, with IBM and we were talking about defective tires and then the bottom line on defective tires from the engineering side of things. It was just, just completely different. The conversations are completely different. Yeah, no, that, and that, that's really, really, that's really great. I think at the, a lot of time, most of the times, maybe 98% of the time it's, yeah, it's what are the results? What's the bottom line? What does it look like? And then that public sector is how you can really serve the people in that community. So I listened to your podcast with Logan Lyles on the QA show. Shout out to my guy, Logan. I really like him from Sweetfish Media. So if you're starting a podcast, definitely connect with Logan at Sweetfish. Uh, He's the man. Also, shout out to uh, James Carberry, who wrote Content-Based Networking. Have you read James's book by chance? Sounds like I need to. That's Oh, no, I'm going to send it to you. He's great. This is basically the playbook right now for Content-Based Networking. This is the playbook right here. So Brian, he's CIO of the Atlanta Housing Authority. Brian Ben. Yeah. He's, he's such a great guy. You don't find too many people that you can say, like, these are just great guys. He's really, truly a great guy. No, that's always great to hear. And actually what, in addition to his photo, uh, he used the word apropos, which I haven't heard that word since I took the SAT or I saw that word since I took the SAT, maybe like the economist, but it doesn't get floated around that much. And so, uh, or since like college basically. So I was like, that's a really great word. I love that word. So you spoke about the five, five, five principle. I try not to take too many questions from other episodes, but 
I just loved the 555 principle. It was so easy. <laughs> so what is the 555 principle and talk about how you were implementing it with the city of Atlanta? Yeah, you know, I, you know, of course, you know, I don't make these things up. You steal them and you keep them, right? So, I but, do it all the time, all the yeah, time. <laughs> and keep it. But the other thing is it was something that, that stuck with me and it really focused you on what it is that you had to get done. You know, when you first hear that, you're like, what in the world could you really get done in five days? I mean, and I think when we were charting it out uh, in my staff, well, I know that sometimes people hate when they say my staff, my team, right? Let me correct that. My, yep. my team, we were at, out at a Chick-fil-A on a retreat. And if you've ever been there, man, it's just, it's pretty amazing. You want I love Chick-fil-A. Yeah, you got <laughs> headquarters. If you ever get a chance to take a tour, go ahead. I mean, you will be like trying to get hired there. But anyway... Just a you know long long story short, you we were sitting and we were talking and we came up you know we were discussing what could we get done in five days, five weeks, and five months. And the biggest struggle wasn't the five weeks uh, and five months. The biggest struggle was like five days. And we were like, what could you get done in five days? And so we started kind of putting things down. A lot of it was research-based, coming back with decisions. A lot of it was really making calls to who we need to make calls to, having the proper meetings to really set the agenda forward for the go. And I think what that taught us, especially the organization through our transformation efforts, is that every day counts. And if you have a focus, you can get a lot of things done in a day. And we don't have time to, we're not good enough to waste a day. And I wanted that to be clear. We are nowhere near good enough to waste a day. And, you know, with what we had uh, to experience and take on, you know, the whole security incident, uh, we had a short amount of time to make a huge impact and to really make sure that things were great um, for the city going forward. And what I mean by that is, we didn't have a lot of time to sit down and write this long strategic plan. As a matter of fact, I was talking to Deanna the other day. I, we were laughing about it. We were having a communications uh, meeting uh, call, and she's, we were talking about the strategic plan. I said, just throw them out the window. I said, we'll just be on like 12-month roadmaps for this time because the way things are going right now, I don't have time to sit. I don't have months to sit down and draft a strategic plan that will probably be outdated before the way things are going before we even the ink is even dry or the digital signature how about we say that but uh, you know I'm just saying it, it's now the mindset of of having these long plans and some people will say well three years isn't a long plan well right now I'm interested in short sprints and what do we need to complete right now and how do we need to finish it so we'll keep using that on the things that we need to do. We'll just, we'll repeat it. We'll say, hey, where we're at right now, what do we need to get done in five days, five weeks, and five months? And then what we start to do is at the end of that, we turn it into a roadmap. And we say, by in 12 months, these are the things that we will ex expect to get done. And a lot of them could be future state types of projects. It doesn't mean that it's a right now thing. But you're looking right now, you're seeing something in the future that you want to take care of right now. And that's what, what we're focusing on. Yeah, I love that. I had a friend come to me who started this, basically a bread shop. And he's like, I've, I didn't take anything in school, no classes in business. 
I need to come up with a business plan. And I was like, forget the business plan. You need customers. That's the business plan. So same thing, forget the strategic plan. We need to go execute. And then, Hey, look, we just made up our plan right now. I think a lot of time and effort and energy gets wasted, but it's when the rubber meets the road. When you really have to go out and make it happen, that's when you start to figure out how you're going to get it done, how you're going to move forward. And I love the sprinting. Yeah. Your three-year plan died in, in a week when COVID was here. I mean, however much time you spent on that. Like that. I, I mean, but it, it's pretty true. I mean, it's pretty much true. I, everybody's plan just blew up in front of them. It's no way you were following your plan. If, you, if someone says they were, they're still following their strategic plan, they just came from heaven. All right. That's <laughs> what you can just say. All right, this is the bottom line. <laughs> you, you made a joke on a podcast I was listening to. It was so funny. Uh, it had to do with the topic where you basically were like, oh yeah, if you had pandemic in your strategic plan, then you're just better than me. And I was dying when you said that because I was like, no one had pandemic in their strategic plan. They're all liars if they said they did. Right. No one had pandemic. No, not at all. And in, in, in a lot of the organizations that help you with these, I'm not going to say any, that help you with these plans, they didn't have it either. It wasn't in their four blocker, you know, I'll even like, no one really knew that this was going to take place. And at the scale uh, yeah. that it took place was just, this has just been, this is, these are one in a lifetime things you're experiencing. Yeah. hundred percent. So lastly, before we hit what I call the 60 second tech table segment, which is three questions in 60 seconds. But I always joke for season two, I've got to change the language because no one ever gets it done in 60 seconds. So your book really reminded me of like how to win friends and influence people, but like for organization and IT leaders, when it comes to pushing your transformation journey through to decision makers with budget, they have their own agendas. You, you talked about the city council. This is hint chapter three, politics, very real. What advice do you have for CIOs meeting with procurement, senior leadership, board members. You're obviously very experienced. What advice would you have for CIOs in the public sector? Yeah, I mean, most of what you are operating, you're op that you're operating as an IT organization is on behalf of them, of your business units. And I think the biggest sometimes um, question that you have to be able to answer is, especially from a budget, from the budget side of things, what this isn't really keeping IT from operating. You know, that's the bit. This is how you operate. And most business units don't really understand that a lot of times the things that we are supporting are services that they deliver. And so when you really start to have the conversations with them around service delivery and how the IT division is supporting that for you. Really simple. It's not this, you know, magical process that you have to go through. You really just have to bring an understanding to the organizational units around how, you know, they're operating and how technology plays a huge part inside of that. And then you'll start to see the budget start to open up. Most, you know, C-suite leaders say, well, we gave you money. And when they say that, there's thinking that they gave you money for you. And, you know, the conversation is really, no, you gave me money for you. <laughs> and so you, you're not understanding these areas that we're, that we're putting in for you are critical to your ability to operate. And once that starts to resonate, because they're not thinking about that every day, they have their own focus. And, you know, that, I think that's where you really start to see yourself 
you know, making a lot of headway around shaking loose a lot of areas that were kind of tied up before. Yeah. Then that's actually a huge growth leadership piece that I'm going through with my own company. When I wanted to launch the Tech Tables podcast, I didn't realize, and my, I have a really great boss, and he was like, I really need you to internalize how to win friends and influence people because I didn't realize that everybody wanted to touch the podcast. And I had to, I had to really kind of sit down and there were just a lot of people. Marketing wanted a piece of it. We've yeah. got 7,000 people at our company. Everyone was like, I want to come on the podcast. I have an input about this. And so I really had to listen, under, seek to understand first is like the big thing. And so I had to sit down and it was a real, uh, it was a really great lesson for me as far as being able to like get people together, get people on board. And it was just a huge undertaking, especially when you're like, okay, I have the vision for this, but really I've got to figure out, hey, what do these people care about and how can I put all that together? So, yeah. um, okay. 60 seconds, Tech Tables podcast, three questions, 60 seconds. I'm super excited about this. So number one, what do you know now that you wish you had known at the beginning of your own personal transformation journey? Man, personally, I, I just, consistency. I wish that, that I knew how consistent you really had to be in order to transform anything. And I think that I wish that I, I had known that. That is a great one. How do you feel, number two, how do you feel about LeBron James? So first off, I know you're wearing a Cleveland uh, Indians or Browns hat. No, Indians hat. Oh, I'm totally much Browns, right? Indians. Indians. Yep. Sorry. I've got so many sports in my head that I just scroll through ESPN and there's no baseball, no football, no basketball right now. But you're originally from Ohio. How do you feel, how do you feel about LeBron James? You know, I have to have a truthful moment here. All right. Oh, this is great. I'm a huge Cavs fan. So I loved the Cavs before he set foot in a uniform. The problem was I felt like he was going to be the savior to our, he was going to help transform our organization. Right. And so he did for a time. And, you know, when he left, I was upset. I wanted him to fail. I, you know, I just like all of us, but I wasn't that upset. I remained a Cleveland fan. I didn't hate him, but I didn't want him to win. And I had a lot of reasons for that. Uh, the second time he left, I didn't really care because he did what he said. And I think that, you know, I think it, you saw a different feeling the second time. I felt like the first time he quit on us, he didn't stick it out. And he came back and finished what he started. And so I'm, I was good. But I listen, I knew Mark Price, Craig Elo, Brad Doherty, Larry Nance, the whole John Hot Rod Williams. I'm a huge, from Terrell Brandon, on like type uh Cavs fan so it was good he's gone but I'm still rooting for him okay okay yeah there was a uh I think him leaving I think the delivery of the message was poor but I think it's what needed to happen for him to experience what it was like to win a little bit of a different culture to win and then kind of bring that back to Cleveland that's a good that's a good point you know one of the things I always used to say is I think I talk about it in, in the book. I, I may not, but I'll have to add it if I, because um, I don't remember every single word. But I do know that seeing success and being in a winning culture, and it matters because most of the most of the people that a lot of times when you're doing transformative efforts, a lot of the uh, team that you're working with, they haven't really seen success. 
they don't know what it looks like. And yep. so if, if you don't have that vision in your head, it's hard to get it done. And then you have to stick around long enough to get it done, right? Because that's the other piece that you got to navigate through. But yeah, you were right. You're right. Did you watch The Last Dance at all? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really liked it. It was good. It was fun. I think the other piece that I was thinking about right there was success. I mean, it's so personal too, because if you don't, if you don't see what it's like to win with money, if you don't see what it's like to win in a lot of different areas, it's going to be a big struggle. And expectation, I think is a huge one, especially in organizations and in families. Like I'm wearing a Stanford hat. I didn't go to Stanford. My wife did. Her expectation is for, we have two kids. The expectation is just different. I'm like, that's so interesting. Her expectation is like, we're going to be great. And, uh, you know, and not like in like a tiger mom kind of way, but um, she's like, yeah, we're going to be great. And we're going to, you know, we're going to work hard and we're going to, we're going to do our homework. And it's not when it's done, but when it's like done with excellence. And if you don't have that uh, in the organization, you can often get lazy and slip. So, but as far as LeBron, I think, going there getting together the hardest one i mean seeing that win and then heartbreaking i'm throwing this out here for the podcast i'm a huge golden state warriors fan so uh i know it's painful um you guys got a lot you got a lot you went and cheated and got (laughs) kevin durant and i knew we weren't gonna win another one so i'm glad we just were able to get one in before i mean you got to think about this you guys played a huge part in him leaving just really understand that. Because if Kevin Durant wasn't there and we won, I wanted to, he might still be playing in a Cleveland uniform. Yeah, yeah. I debated to bring my Steph Curry jersey today, but I didn't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. Uh, okay, it's so last one. What's your top three personal development or leadership books that you'd recommend right now? I would say um, Malcolm uh, Gladwell's book on uh, David and Goliath. I love that book. It really uh, addresses the underdog. And um, that's really been um, kind of what I've uh, been clinging on to as I go through these journeys is really being that that underdog to really, you know, slay a bunch of Goliaths. So I, I love that book. Um, what You Do Is Who You Are. That's a really good book. And I can't think of his name right now, but he's a big um, uh, Silicon Valley investor. I can't think of what his name is, but I have to, I have to send it to you. And then the last book is um, I'm reading a book on leaders asking questions. And that book is really, it just constantly reminds me of the questions that I need to continue to answer. It just says, uh, you know, leaders, good leaders ask good questions and a lot of questions and, you know, aren't intimidated to continue to ask questions to get to what they really need to be able to understand. And so those are three books that are like always books that I would recommend to anyone. That's awesome. And where do you hang out? I know you hang out on LinkedIn. Actually, I'm not even going to ask you where you hang out. I put this on my board. You've got the best Twitter handle, Trendy CIO. That's right. I have that down on my whiteboard. Trendy CIO. You yeah. are super trendy. I've seen you in suits. I like it. I resonate. I've got multiple pairs of glasses that are different colors. Yeah, um, man, I, I got some glasses too. So. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, so so Twitter and LinkedIn, they can find you there. Twitter and LinkedIn, yep. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on today, Gary. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was fun. 
You're listening to The Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop your email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind the mic newsletter. And one of today's podcast sponsors is Tech Tables Plus, an engaging new community where you can have early access to never before released episodes, early access to live event recordings, early access to weekly three interesting learnings, early access to live event ticket purchases, no episode ads and more, plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today. Bonus number one, access to the CEO show. Bonus number two, access to the higher ed show. And bonus number three, access to the digital show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network.